Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. My lord, do we have a show for y'all tonight. It's really a coach-themed show, if we're being completely honest. More on Mike Vrabel later in the show, talking about the Tennessee Titans firing him uh, yesterday. Uh, very surprising news out of the beautiful city of Nashville, Tennessee. Shout out to Nashville. I love y'all. Uh, Pete Carroll. Gone out of Seattle. I shouldn't say gone out of Seattle. He's going to be more of an advisory role and something that seemed to be kind of surprising to him. And it's surprising to me, but for a very different reason than it might be surprising to Pete or for, to Seahawks fans. I'll detail that. Michigan winning the national championship game. Nick Saban just retired. <laughs> okay. I'll get into that in literally just a second. That came in about 40 minutes before we got uh, on the show tonight, went, went live tonight. What an unbelievable turn of events at Alabama. So again, this is the coach show, carving up the context, looking forward to that. Was going to do it in about a half hour. It's going to be more like 45 minutes now with the Saban news. Uh, carving up the context regarding the old-fashioned NFL ratings. And uh, I've got a, a, I shouldn't say necessarily a unique take, but a different take. I guess different is unique. Anyways, uh, a, a different take on this issue and, and, and what we are kind of missing in regards to the ratings and what we are just letting people off the hook with, with the ratings in the National Football League. At the end of the show, Bryson's best 10. Now, we only got 14 teams left, so 10 of them. I'm going to have to leave four teams, four playoff teams out of my top 10 going into this year's playoffs. My This is really the last Bryson's best 10 of the season because I'll do, like a, I guess, like a Bryson's best eight and a Bryson's best four. And then at that point, it's like who's going to win the Super Bowl. So basically the last Bryson's best 10 in terms of NFL teams going into the postseason that's coming at the end of the show in about an hour, hour 15 or so. We've already got comments up in here. Very exciting. Feel free to chime in the comment section. Patrick Brown says, what's good, Bryson? Happy Wednesday, happy Wednesday to you as well, Patrick Brown. EJ, boys of his own, what up, what up? What's up, EJ? And congratulations to the newest addition uh, to the family. Shout out to EJ uh, and, uh, and, and the family that just delivered, uh, I believe, a baby girl uh, very recently. So congratulations uh, to the boys of his own fam over there. Shout out to y'all. But first, colossal news in college football. Nick Saban has retired. This according to Chris Lowe. Uh, this came in about 40 minutes ago. It's obviously circulated all around social media, uh, all around every college football circle and every fan, every player, every coach, etc. Nick Saban, no longer the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide. They would be looking for their new head coach for the first time since uh, George W. Bush was president. It's been that long. So, First of all, first and foremost, let's give love and give credit where it's due. Before we even get to why Saban retired, what's next for Alabama, uh, Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. It's not particularly close. With respect to Bear Bryant, with respect to Lou Holtz, with respect to any great coach you want to throw out there, uh, it's not even close. Nick Saban's the GOAT. Uh, so Nick Saban at the University of Alabama, this is just at Alabama, okay? Uh, 199 and 23, he won 89.6% of the football games that he coached with the Crimson Tide. He is, I'm not even going to count them up because it's too many, nine SEC titles. And he won not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six national championships and uh, solidified himself, obviously, as the greatest coach in Alabama history, surpassing the great Bear Bryant. Therefore, with Bear Bryant being the kind of consensus goat coach, Saban surpassed him in that regard as well. In his career in general, if you include uh, LSU as well as previous destinations, Nick Saban, 292 career wins, 11 
SEC championships and seven national championships. Uh, the national titles is the record. I wasn't able to to get the proper uh, research in because it just came in so recently to see if that was the record for SEC championships. He's also won coach of the year twice, which is an absolute joke. Nick Saban's won coach of the year twice. Kind of reminds me of how Tom Brady's won MVP three times. Like, you're telling me Tom Brady played 23 years and he won three MVPs? Are you kidding me? LeBron's played 21. He's got four MVPs. Like, what are we doing here? But that aside, I think Nick Saban retired. First of all, he is 72 years old. We got to factor that in as well. That's, I think, in, in played in some parts the reason why Belichick uh, may step down, although I think Belichick still wants to coach. We'll talk about Pete Carroll later. I saw his press conference today. Sounds like Pete still wants to coach. Uh, that sounds like it was more of a decision from the front office. Uh, this was Nick's decision. And there had been speculation. There had been discussion about whether or not this was a real possibility. Because of the fact that, hey, Nick is 72. Georgia has very clearly surpassed Alabama. I know Alabama did beat Georgia to their credit in the SEC title game. It's fitting that Saban was able to get one last W over another assistant coach uh, before he rode off into the sunset, obviously, after that loss to Michigan a couple weeks ago, or really last week. Um, but Georgia has surpassed Alabama. Georgia is kind of the new dynasty of college football. They've won two of the last three national titles. And Nick Saban, I think, in some respects, has kind of seen the writing on the wall in the sense that Recruiting was already hard. NIL's made it harder. Now, before y'all come at me, oh, you're against NIL. I've been one of the biggest NIL proponents since I started my show four and a half years ago before NIL was even legal, made legal by the Supreme Court. Like, I, I, I've always, always been a proponent of the athletes getting paid. I, I, and I wholeheartedly support the athletes in that regard. But I also, in some respects, kind of have sympathy for the coaches in the sense that, man, this makes recruiting and, and, and going getting high school athletes all the more harder, especially in college football, which we know is the richest college sport out there, over college basketball, men's or women's, softball, baseball, swimming, the whole bit. Doesn't matter what the sport is. And Nick Saban probably saw the right in the wall was like, I don't know, I'm 72, still in reasonably good health, at least from what we can see. Right off in the sunset, beat Georgia. My last SEC game of my career was an SEC title against my guy Kirby Smart, my former defensive coordinator, and really kind of the, I shouldn't say the heir apparent to Nick Saban, but kind of like the a younger version of Saban in a certain respect. It's time, and Nick Saban stepped away. Keep in mind the fact that we all generally agreed that this Alabama team was not close to Nick Saban Alabama team's uh, of years past, of the six national titles, or even the championships they got to and lost. See the Clemson game, uh, see games in which they lost to Georgia in the national title game. They weren't near as talented at quarterback with Jalen Milrow. It's not a shot at Jalen. He's not near Bryce Young, what Bryce Young did in college, or guys like uh, Tua Tungabailoa, Jalen Hurts. Heck, Mac Jones was as good as Mac Jones in college. And that Alabama offensive line was nothing short of atrocious. I saw the stat coming into the college football playoff that Alabama was number, obviously number one sacks uh, given up uh, of the four playoff teams. They given up more sacks by themselves than the other playoff teams, the other three playoff teams combined. So Alabama really struggled to protect the quarterback, um, and then that was a that was a massive problem for them. Defense wasn't quite as talented outside of the kid uh, Dallas Turner, nice linebacker, really like him going into the NFL. It just wasn't as talented of a team. And Nick Saban, Nick Saban still went 12-2 and with an SEC title, and his only two losses were to Texas, who got to the college football playoff, and Michigan, who I'll talk about in about 10 minutes, who's the national champions today. And both came down to the wire. Job well done, Nick. You went out at the top of your game. This was one of the 
most impressive coach. I said all season long, this is one of the most impressive I've ever been watching Nick Saban coach an Alabama team. And keep in mind, too, and this is why, even as a Tennessee fan, and even as a guy who watched Nick Saban go one and sixteen, or sorry, go sixteen and one against my balls, oh, twenty twenty two was something special. But Saban owned Tennessee like he owned just about everybody else. The one thing that I always, always appreciate about Nick Saban, there's a lot of things to appreciate. Develop players, uh, change God knows how many kids' lives. Uh, he tells a story off or told a story about one kid he coached at Michigan State that was dealing with some off the field stuff. Nick Saban didn't. A lot of people want Nick Saban to cut the guy. He didn't. He just gave him a suspension, came back, and the guy now runs a company. Like Nick Saban's the type of dude, doesn't give up on players, uh, believes in guys, sees the best in young kids because ultimately their kids are going to make mistakes. Nick Saban saw the good in them in that regard, and ultimately they're better off for uh, being coached by him. So there's a lot of things to admire about Nick Saban. The thing that always I always appreciate about Nick Saban is something that oftentimes a lot of coaches don't do. Evolve. Change. Adapt. See how things are maybe changing in a certain direction uh, in your sport, as a, you know, culturally speaking, and adapting with it. Whatever the case was. Because when Nick Saban came in at Alabama in 2007, took him just a couple years, 09, bam, national champions. Beat Texas, beat Mac Brown and that loaded Texas team in order, uh, in order to do so. His quarterback at the time is a guy who now works at ESPN, does a great job for the network, Greg McElroy. Greg McElroy was nowhere near an NFL talent, but Nick Saban was able to take a team with Mark Ingram there. Mark Ingram won the Heisman Trophy that year. At that time, college football, heck, really football in general, was a ground and pound defense. Not that it's not to a certain degree today, but certainly not as much as it was 15 years ago in, in, in 09 when it was run the football, play action, convert on third down, have your quarterback be a good game manager and just beat the you-know-what out of teams on defense. That's what college football was, and Nick Saban, that played right into his wheelhouse. And they won in 09, in 2011, uh, 2011, and in 2012. But around 2014, 15, the game started to shift a little bit. Yes, he won with Jake Coker in 2015. Jake Coker didn't do really anything at all at the next level, but he had Derrick Henry and, and great defensive players. But around 2015-ish, the game started to shift a little bit, started to become more quarterback-centric. You were seeing these younger coaches, Lincoln Riley, come into the mix and make an instant impact with guys like Baker Mayfield and eventually Kyla Murray and Jalen Hurts. And rather than resting on his laurels and saying, no, 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 I'm going to do it my way. I mean, screw what the game is now. I'm No, no, no. I'm going to adapt. I'm going to adjust. And I'm going to go get Jalen Hurts. He's going to take me to a national title in 2016. I'm going to come literally a second away from winning a national title that year against Clemson. Bringing this kid, Tua. Remember that? Jalen Hurts bench. Tua comes in, wins the national title game. I'm going to develop this kid, this talented quarterback, Tua, as the game shifts more to quarterbacks. Tua does his thing. Mac Jones, even. Mac Jones. Bad NFL quarterback. Nick Saban took him and said, you know what? There's limitations there that we didn't have with Jalen and Tua. So we're going to surround him with a, some great receivers. Devontae Smith, who won the Heisman. Henry Ruggs, we know the situation there. Najee Harris, great running back, but could catch passes out of the backfield. Great offensive line. Amazing offensive line. Cover up the flaws so that the quarterback looks good because the quarterback is going to have to win games for us in today's college football. Then Bryce Young. Very much an out, uh, escape artist, getting out to the pocket. Kind of Russell Wilson, not as big as Russell, uh, as, as, as thick as Russell, but able to make plays in that regard. Playing to his strengths. 
And Jalen Milrow, who's not a natural thrower, excellent running the football, much better athlete than he is a quarterback. Nick Saban got the most out of him. And they got to within literally a couple plays of getting to the national championship game. Again, Nick Saban evolved. Nick Saban didn't stay stuck in his ways. He wasn't Bobby Knight. He's not Dabo Sweeney, who refuses to embrace the transfer portal and NIL. Nick Saban adapted to these things. Nick Saban adapted to how coaches in the modern times interact with their players. You know, in 2015, not to say coaches, you know, shouldn't, not that there's just one way to coach, obviously, but Nick Saban came in. It's very much a rah-rah getting dudes' faces. And whether it's, ah, oh, these young kids be soft, whatever it, whatever the case may be, he kind of adapted to that. Gave kids more attaboys. Gave them, I shouldn't say more love than he used to, but oftentimes would give them much more words of approval and praise. He adapted in that regard too. Part of what makes Nick Saban the greatest coach of all time is how when the times changed, he didn't stay stuck in his ways. He still stayed true to his core tenets. There's no question about that. But he said, what I got to do to win? Okay, I'll do that. And like all smart people, which Nick Saban is obviously very, very smart, he adjusted. Nick Saban, uh, hats off. Phenomenal, phenomenal crew. Doesn't even begin to describe. He's the greatest college football coach of all time. And again, it ain't close. Best wishes in retirement. Nothing but the best. Some comments here. Patrick Brown, it'll be a strange 2024 college football season without Nick Saban. End of an era for Alabama football. Whoever is hired, that'll be a tall task to live up to those championships. Um, and he talks about this will open the door for the SEC West, LSU, Ole Miss, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, etc. Bama will do good to win seven or eight games. It's going to be a rebuild the next couple of years. And he asked, could Bama sway Coach Prime out of Boulder making the air apparent? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, I don't, th I don't think uh, Coach Prime will go to Alabama. I'll tell you who could go to Alabama and who I'm hearing through multiple sources right now. Two guys. Actually, uh, yeah, three. I'm No, is it just two? Because, again, this just came in, so I'm trying to get all the facts, all the, all, all the stuff we can get in right now. Okay, well, here's what we got so far. Number one, Dabo Sweeney. I think that'd be a horrendous move by Alabama because it's it's, it's going to sound terrible. It's a poor man's version of Nick Saban. And Dabo, again, unlike Nick, refuses to adapt. So that'll be a, a really, that won't work at all. I'll tell you what could work, though, and this has been floated out there. Kalen DeBoer from Washington. Oh, my goodness. As a Vols fan, I am praying to the high heavens. That Bama does hire Galen DeBoer. That, oh my, oh, that'd be devastating for the rest of the SEC. Those of you who don't know who this guy is, he wins everywhere. He's basically, I wouldn't say a lesser version of Jim Harbaugh, but whatever level he's at, he wins. That's Kalen DeBoer. Uh, built Washington back into a powerhouse, won 21 straight games, I think, going into the national title game. Uh, Kalen DeBoer would be a phenomenal fit with Alabama. I really hope that doesn't happen as a Vols fan. I really don't. That's that, that's going to be, uh, That'd be interesting. I'm not going to lie. Who was the other name? I swear to y'all I saw a name come in as well about a potential Alabama coaching hire um, in terms of who could replace Nick Saban. Hang on. Because I, I swear, I, I want to make sure I get this right and, you know, a potential move. Dabo Sweeney was floated. Kalen DeBoer was floated. Doesn't look like we, get, we got anything right now. 
We'll see. I'll say this. It looks I think the transfer portal has either already opened or is opening very soon. And uh, <laughs> a lot of players leaving Alabama. Let's put it that way. We'll see. Uh, EJ, boys in the zone. Coach K retiring from Duke basketball. Now save it. Now saving for Alabama. Truly the end of an era for two of the best coaches to ever coach in college sports. No question about it. No doubt. Saving. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, coach K retired a couple of years ago. Uh, the greatest uh, men's college basketball coach ever. I say men's because I still believe Pat Summitt's the greatest college uh, college basketball coach, men's or women's ever. I'm gonna. I'm always gonna believe that. Unless somebody like clearly surpasses Pat. God rest her soul. Pat's the goat. But yeah, yeah. Listen, Coach K, what he did at Duke, and like Coach K was the guy, by the way, when um, one and done was coming into college basketball. Is very kind of kept that at arms arms length, didn't embrace it, and then once the time started passing by, he's like, okay, I guess I just I I, I got to embrace one and done. And Duke was better for it. There you go. Very very interesting uh, to see how this will continue to develop. Bama's a good job though. Um, oh, okay, yeah, this was the name that was floated. This is the name that was floated, and this this would make sense. Dan Lanning from Oregon. Now, Dan Lanning was the offensive coordinator at Georgia under Kirby Smart, so he knows the SEC well. Uh, listen, Oregon's going to a brutal Big Ten. I don't know. It makes sense. It makes sense. Listen, Michigan will be an attractive job. Michigan and Bama both. Uh, this is assuming Jim Harbaugh's gone. We'll see. I'm about to talk about Michigan in just a second. Um, but yeah, this is pretty... It's pretty shocking news. I'm not going to lie to you. And this just came in, by the way. This is from Dov Kleiman, who's a great source for this stuff. Uh, this He says, since 2007, Alabama has paid Nick Saban an average of 19.5K per day. In total, over 17 seasons, he's earned $120 million and was worth every single penny. Good for him. Good for Nick, man. As a Vols fan, I, was, I, 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 I always said this. The thing I didn't like about Alabama was those gosh darn fans. They drove me crazy. This elitism, they weren't terribly friendly, let's be honest. Not to act like Tennessee fans are, because we can be a lot. But the Bama fans who drove me crazy. Always respected Nick Saban and the program. Patrick says, Marcus Freeman. Okay, that's interesting. Marcus Freeman, Mike Norvell, Dan Lanning have been floated around. I doubt Norvell leaves FSU. I doubt Freeman leaves uh, Notre Dame. Landing makes sense. I honest to God, I think Landing's actually the most likely, you know, de- not destination, de- like most likely scenario for Alabama. But hats off. No, no, no. I, I need to literally do it. Hats off to Nick Saban. Now, as a fan, go Vols, baby. This is this is great news for me as a Tennessee fan. But it's off. Obviously, got to pay respect to one of the greatest to ever do it. The greatest to ever do it. Staying in college football, what I was going to lead the show off with until the Saban news dropped. Michigan wins the national title by a final score of 34-13 to 13 over the Washington Huskies. Now, I mean, not to brag on myself or anything, but I mean, Michigan was kind of my free season pick to win it all. But oh, that doesn't even mean anything. Nobody cares about that. What we do care about is the fact that Michigan did go 15-0. They're the fifth, uh, fifth team of all time to do that. Won the Big Ten. Won the semifinal game over Alabama, as we just mentioned, and beat a very good, very good elite, I would go so far as to say, Washington team, led by an elite Washington quarterback, Michael Penix Jr. And again, I'll say now what I've said before about Michigan, and this is the mark of a well-coached team, which Jim Harbaugh's the coach, so duh, and a very talented football team, and the best team in college football, which I said they were all season long. 
They make you play the game on their terms. They will dictate how you play. Now, whether or not you can adjust, whether or not you are capable of playing their game, we'll see. But if it comes down to who can be Michigan better, who can play Michigan football better, then you're going to lose. Ohio State came close, as did Alabama. Washington hung with them at times. It looked like it'd be a game around late third quarter, early fourth, and Michigan kind of pulled away because they were the better football team with more NFL players. But I hope today, or Monday night certainly, and by today, 48 hours later, about 48 hours later, we can put to bed the notion that it had everything to do with this evil scheme, sign-stealing. You know, the Patriots, during their 20-year dynasty, had a lot of scandals. They won the Super Bowl because they had Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. That's why they won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, obviously, more so than Belichick, but Belichick and those defenses certainly played a major factor. They won because they were the best quarterback team and on defense, the best coach team and the best situational team and a team that could beat you multiple different facets, a team that could beat you if you made a mistake. It wasn't because of some deflated footballs, which were deflated, by the way, by the cold weather. Different story for a different day. They didn't win because they spied on a Jets practice. They won because they had the best quarterback of all time and one of the greatest defensive coaches ever. Michigan won the national championship because they have arguably the best coach in college football and the best team in college football. NFL players everywhere. The best running back, arguably, in college football. Arguably the best offensive line, despite the injuries, in college football. They weren't a team that was going to beat you over the top. That wasn't really their brand. They don't have elite wide receiver talent. And frankly, like the kid, don't love him. They don't have elite quarterback play. And J.J. McCarthy, they were going to beat you their way. And that's what all great teams do. They make you play the game on their terms. The Golden State Warriors at the height of their dynasty, I said this is the Warriors fam, um, made you play their game. If you couldn't get out running and gunning, uh, fast break, shooting the three, you're going to lose. Simple as that. You were going to lose to the Golden State Warriors. That's what all great teams do. And for Jim Harbaugh, I could not be happier for the man. Couldn't be happier. Uh, he had a quote after the game where he said, now I can sit at the, uh, at the, at the big person table. Because John Harbaugh has a Super Bowl. His brother John Harbaugh has a Super Bowl in which he ironically beat Jim Harbaugh to get that Super Bowl uh, in Super Bowl 49. Uh, sorry, Super Bowl 47. His their, their dad, Jack Harbaugh, won a national title in the 80s. Now Jim has a ring. So, you know, good for him to being, you know, kind of on equal, equal footing in the in the Harbaugh family. This is a guy who wins everywhere he goes. That's something that few could say, I thought Urban Meyer was in that category. Then he went to Jacksonville, and that was a disaster, so you can't really put him there anymore. Jim Harbaugh went to San Diego, or San Diego, San Diego State, won there. Went to Stanford, who was the joke of college football, and immediately beat the powerhouse USC Trojans coach by Pete Carroll, who we'll talk about later in the show. And Stanford with Andrew Luck, with Jim Harbaugh, Richard Sherman played on defense for that. The, some of those teams, turned into an elite program. He also went to San Francisco, a team that was also dead in the water. I mean, the, the San Francisco 49ers were, again, a joke in the NFL. Year one takes over with an Alex Smith, who my man Tim Barnard, shout out to Tim, the newest addition to the Grid Network, set in the 8 o'clock spot last night. Alex Smith picks number one all, overall in 2005, ironic, or I should say ironically, um, famously over Aaron Rodgers. Alex Smith was a bust. He'd done nothing in San Francisco. Jim Harbaugh takes over. Alex Smith at quarterback. They're a muffed punt away from going to the Super Bowl year one. 
Year two, they do get to the Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick, who, while he was a great athlete, not the most natural thrower. And if not for a missed pass interference in the end zone, hey, they might have won the thing over the Baltimore Ravens. 2013, if not for a batted ball, one of the greatest defensive plays ever by Richard Sherman, they get to the Super Bowl again. 2014, 8-8, eight and eight, I think they were 8-8 eight eight that year. Kind of a, a mixed bag for San Francisco. There were some disagreements with Harbaugh in the front office. Oh my God, Jim's difficult. And San Francisco went back, right back to being irrelevant for the next half decade until they got Kyle Shanahan. Jim takes over Michigan. Brady Hoke coached. That roster was uh, pretty mid, and we'll, we'll be nice today. Takes over. They win 10 games year one. Year two, if not for a... We'll put it this way. A very generous spot to Ohio State in overtime. They beat Ohio State in the horseshoe. So you have that component onto it as well. Jim Harbaugh not only wins everywhere he goes, he takes over crap situations and turns them into, into gold. That's what he does. He'll be the number one, assuming he leaves Michigan, and my sources say that's probably going to happen. He'll take some time off. Spend time with the family, clear his head, see what he wants to do. He loves Michigan. He's a Michigan alum, so that the possibility of him coming back is certainly on the table. The money is definitely on the table. Over a $120 million contract potentially waiting for him. But Jim does love the NFL. There are some good jobs out there that he could potentially take over. My guess is he goes back to the league. He'll be, in my estimation, the most sought-after candidate, including, with all due respect to Mike Vrabel, including Mike Vrabel. We'll see. A shout-out to Jim Harbaugh. This was not the result of an evil scheme. No, they were just the best team, and they punch you right in the mouth. That's how they won. Kind of old school. Not always aesthetically pleasing. Certainly that game against Penn State back in, I guess it was November, when they threw like eight passes, I think it was. Was it eight passes J.J. McCarthy threw uh, against the, the Nittany Lions? Uh, when they, again, Penn State was top 10 ranked at the time. Michigan was third. Uh, yet J.J. McCarthy went seven for eight for 60 yards. Michigan ran the ball 46 times in that game. Not always aesthetically pleasing, but they made you play the game on their terms. And they are the deserving national champions. Congratulations to Michigan. Very well deserved. And they were my preseason pick, so that makes it even better. Let's see. Patrick Brown in the comments. I predicted 34-20 to 20 Michigan over Washington. Wolverines scored 34. Huskies fell short of that prediction. And, and I'm seeing a lot of folks go after Michael Penix Jr. And listen, I'm not going to act like the kid played well. He didn't. Uh, he made some errant throws. But we know with quarterbacks, especially pocket quarterbacks, which Penix is, that when you get pressure on them, they can be, you know, it's we see this off with young guys, like somebody who's not close to as talented as Michael Penix Jr. is, is Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, early in the season, had no time to throw. And it affected his, uh, it affected like that mental clock in his head when he did have time to throw. Because if he had a clean pocket, he'd be thinking, "Oh, somebody's coming, somebody's coming." It's like, no, buddy, you you got a clean pocket, you got a chance to make an accurate throw. I feel like that was some of what happened with Michael Penix Jr. the other night. Uh, I still view him as the second best quarterback of the draft. There's nothing that I saw that would uh, change that opinion. Michigan did that to a lot of quarterbacks. I mean, I think Caleb Williams is the only guy that could have gone in there and absolutely torched that defense. I, I you know, I want to say torched that defense, played well against that defense. Still think Michael Penix Jr. is second-best quarterback of the draft. Still hope he falls to Pittsburgh. If this hurts his draft stock, sucks for him in terms of money. But if it results in him falling to Pittsburgh, I won't be mad. I won't be mad. Uh, oh, interesting question by Parnell, because we're about to get into Pete Carroll. Should Pete Carroll take the head coaching job at Alabama? 
I mean, I don't see why not. Pete is one of those guys like Jim who's been successful at both levels, college and pro. I could see it. I mean, he, he developed USC into one of the most dominant college football programs in the last two, three decades. So I, I don't see why not. Parnell, teams that would consider Harbaugh as a head coach, Chargers if they're not cheap, or Washington. Washington, I think, is a way better job than people are giving it credit for. New ownership. They got the second pick of the draft. The roster's not that bad. Yeah, uh, Terry McLaurin. I know they traded Montez Sweat to the Bears, uh, so you have that component. But yeah, I think Jim would be a perfect fit in Washington or LA. Um, I think he'd be a perfect fit anywhere, anywhere. I think he'd be a good fit in Carolina. He'll never take that job because it's a horrendous job. But he takes over bad situations and immediately. So I don't know what is this. What kind of magic spells this guy have? Immediately, uh, is able to turn it around. So shout out to them. Science stealing scandal. Come on. Y'all acting like that. Not y'all. Not my audience. I'm talking about just the general. Folks out there acting like that had something to do with it. No, nope, they were just the best team. Okay. So again, this has been the coach show. Like I, I did not anticipate this would be the case. Um, talking about uh, you know, freaking Nick Saban retiring. Did not see that coming. Broke about an hour ago. And Jim Harbaugh, which I was gonna lead the show off with. We'll see what. What he decides to do, I think the NFL seems pretty as about as close to inevitable as you could possibly get. And then you have guys like Pete Carroll, who we'll get to on just a second. Let's see. Parnell, thoughts on the Bears head coach Sting? Matt Eber flew Sting in Chicago. I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's near as bad as as, as some try and make it out to be. I think he's a solid coach. Um Jim Harbaugh has ties to the Bears, so I would have really gone hard after going and getting Jim Harbaugh, but an argument can be made that because the Bears, if you saw today, the Bears fired their whole staff. Luke Getze, their offensive coordinator, they fired everybody except for Matt Eberflus. It doesn't tell me that anything about whether or not Justin Fields is going to stay or not. I think Matt Eberflus would love to coach Caleb Williams. Who wouldn't? But, again, I would have moved on if I thought I was getting Jim Harbaugh. If they, if maybe the Bears have been told that I don't. But, I mean, are the, have the Bears exactly been the model of how to run an NFL franchise in terms of coach hirings and quarterback drafting? I don't know. I don't love it. I wouldn't have done it. But it, it's kind of as the old saying goes, what, whoever your quarterback in, I shouldn't say the old saying goes, I've said it on my show before many times. If you're thinking about hiring, or I'm sorry, firing your coach or moving on from your quarterback, always ask yourself the question, do I feel more confident than not? then I'm going to get an upgrade. Like, that's why for the Bears, I'm like, this shouldn't even be, this isn't, this is a non-starter. You got a chance to get Caleb Williams and you're going to stick with Justin Fields who's 10 and 28 in his career? What are we doing? And I like Fields. He's a starting NFL quarterback. I think he holds value for teams like the Falcons or teams that need, maybe Washington is in the cards for, of course, Washington's going to take a quarterback too, but there are teams out there that could, maybe Denver, maybe Denver could use a quarterback. Uh, maybe they could go out and get Justin Fields there for the Broncos, but, I think it's a no-brainer. You can absolutely upgrade it for Justin Fields. Head coach, it's a little funky because Harbaugh's not an official NFL head coaching uh, candidate on the market, so to speak. I, I would have moved on from Eberflus if I was 100% confident I could get Harbaugh or Mike Vrabel uh, or guys like that. Ben Johnson's out there. Uh, Dan Quinn's out there. Let's talk about Pete Carroll, though. Because Pete Carroll, it was announced today that he would not be returning 
as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Quite a surprising move. I don't, you know, the Nick Saban thing, there was at least talk with, with Seattle. We didn't hear any rumblings, uh, which I guess, hey, props to the Seahawks for keeping things under wraps. Uh, that's what good organizations tend to do. But nonetheless, Pete Carroll will not be the Seahawks head coach in 2024 or moving forward. And uh, let's see, Jody Allen, the owner of the Seahawks, put out a statement. She said, after thoughtful meetings and careful consideration for the best interest of the franchise, we have amicably agreed with Pete Carroll that his role will not evolve from head coach to remain with the organization as an advisor. Pete is the winningest coach in Seahawks history, brought the city its first Super Bowl title, and created a tremendous impact over the past 14 years on the field and in the community. His expertise in leadership and building a championship culture will continue as an integral part of our organization moving forward. Pete will always be a beloved member of the Seahawks family. So Pete is going to move uh, to being a an advisor for the Seahawks. I don't know if this is part-time advisor. I don't know if it's he's going to be one of the guys making personnel decisions. I, I, I'm not sure what that's going to be, what his role is going to be. What I do know is this, and I find it a bit curious. I watched Pete Carroll's press conference today. Didn't seem like he wanted to leave. This felt like it was ownership uh, seeking to move on from Pete Carroll. And Pete Carroll, before we move any further, let's talk about his resume with the Seattle Seahawks because it's it's pretty darn strong. 136-89-1 record, won a Super Bowl. And again, as the statement by Jody Allen said, he's the winningest head coach in the history of the Seattle Seahawks. Here's why I don't get them moving on. Reportedly, according to Schefter, Ian Rapport, all these sources, the leading candidate to be the Seahawks head coach is Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys, who was the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks under Pete Carroll during the Legion of Boom era. He eventually would leave to be the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. I don't get it. Because in, in, bringing, in, uh, in bringing in Dan Quinn to replace Pete Carroll, you're basically just hiring a younger version of Pete. Like, generally, when you move on from a head coach, it's just like when you break up. It's like when you move on from your ex. Oftentimes, it's just in our psychology, whatever the case may be, we often end up with somebody who's maybe not the complete opposite of the person we were with, but very different from the person we were with. Because it's like, man, there's qualities about this person, revisionist history, obviously, but there's qualities like I wish they w- I would have had a different partner, and you move on to the next one, and then there's qualities in them that maybe the other person had, vice versa. I don't really get it in that regard. Dan Quinn is kind of Pete Carroll 2.0. High energy guy, very smart defensive uh, coordinator and coach in general. The Cowboys have been very successful since Dan Quinn has been the DC there. He was a good head coach, got a team to the Super Bowl and did something right. Got to the playoffs again in 2017, won a playoff game before they lost to the eventual champion Eagles. Not saying Dan Quinn isn't a good head coach candidate. Wouldn't be shocked at all if he gets a job. Thinks he, I think he should get a job. Evidently, Jerry Jones has paid him something to keep him in Dallas because I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't been gone much, long before this. But aren't you kind of maintaining the exact same sort of culture, which isn't a bad thing, but oftentimes when you fired somebody, you want somebody different. I don't know. That, that that's That's kind of the thing for me that's very confusing about this whole situation is the fact that Pete didn't seem to want to move on and Seattle's basically just hiring a younger version of Pete. And Dan Quinn, it feels like they're in a, that in a little bit of a space that can be very, very dangerous in sports, and that's romanticizing the past. 
Dan Quinn was there, defensive coordinator, Legion of Booms, one of the greatest defenses we've ever seen. Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Bobby Wagner, all those guys, future Hall of Famers. And it's like they're trying to bring the glory days back to a certain extent. Well, moving on from the kind of the head and the architect of this entire thing in Seattle. It's concerning, not concerning, it's confusing to me in that regard that you're firing Pete, who didn't seem to want to be fired, if you watch his press conference today. Wouldn't be shocked if he continues coaching. He is, I believe Pete Carroll's 75 years old. I could be wrong on that. I want to make sure to confirm that. Pete Carroll, about mid-70s, he's the oldest coach in the NFL. Uh, now that title belongs to Bill Belichick. I'm sorry, I apologize to Pete Carroll. I, I said he was much older than he is. I sincerely apologize, Pete. Pete Carroll, 72, is going to be 73 this September. Pete is a high-energy guy. He's 72, acts like he's 42. And you have a situation where he didn't want to leave, but just getting a Pete who's about 20 years younger or so in Dan Quinn. So it feels like they kind of want the best of both sides. Keep a little bit of the past, but also moving on. It's a very odd space that the Seahawks are in. Um, I, I didn't think this was anything short of anything of a or any sort of a disappointing if we say obviously it sucks to not make the playoffs and you made it a year ago. But the fact of the matter is it's not a shot. But Geno Smith was your quarterback. Drew Locke was your quarterback at one point this season. Like you dealt with injuries uh, to Geno. And if a couple bounces go your way in games against uh, Dallas and in games against the Rams, you get in the playoffs. Now, I would have moved on to the quarterback position, which I anticipate the Seahawks will probably do. Maybe they're the destination for Justin Fields. We'll see. Or the draft a guy. But I didn't think that this was a situation where, oh, the message worth in. Maybe I don't know enough about the situation. Maybe more information will come out as time goes on. But maybe the maybe Pete's message was wearing thin. I don't know what, the, what, what what's, what's going on there. But I saw it, and I was like, that's really, really weird. Nick Saban... Retiring, shocking, caught us all off guard, but you kind of understand it. Mike Vrabel, who I'm about to talk about, again, this is the all-coaches show uh, today. After knowing what I know now in Tennessee, I kind of get why they split up. This one in Seattle is kind of kind of odd. And what they'll do from here remains to be seen, but strange firing of Pete Carroll. I, I, I don't totally get it. I don't totally get it uh, for the Seattle Seahawks, but we'll see how it pans out for them. We'll see how it pans out for him. But shout out to Pete, though. Give him love, love to all these other coaches, Nick Saban and and um, and Jim Harbaugh. Shout out to Pete, man. Outstanding career. Seahawks were not exactly looked at as as a powerhouse or this wildly respected respected franchise. And you see what he did. And by the way, you see how Russell looked without Pete Carroll. And someone can say, well, "What about Pete without Russ?" Well, Pete did get to the playoffs and had back to back winning seasons with no Russell Wilson. Russell's about to get at least assumingly uh, cut by the Denver Broncos, although there's some conflicting reports on that recently. But heck of a career. By the way, I know there was some, it was a kind of a tumultuous, I shouldn't say tumultuous. It was a little bit of a back and forth relationship between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. Uh, but Russell Wilson did put out a tweet today. If we can pull this up here. Uh, Russell put a tweet today uh, uh, shouting out Pete Carroll. He retweeted about Pete's accomplishments and said, quote, one of the greatest ever. Keep shooting, coach. Grateful for the memories at Pete Carroll. Best is ahead. And I anticipate that the tributes from former players, coaches, et cetera, will continue to pour in for one Pete Carroll. Shout out to him. Outstanding career. And maybe not, might not be over yet. 
Listen, Parnell, pose in the comments. What if he goes to Alabama? I could, I could see that. I could see that. Dan Lanning feels like the best fit, but I could see it happening. Uh, this came in, by the way, Adam Schefter put this out. Again, we're following this Nick Saban story as, as more comes in. Um, Bill Belichick just, uh, what, did Belichick put out a statement? Now, Belichick hasn't put out a statement. We know Belichick and Nick are very close. This isn't a statement. This is just a, a clip from a football life. Uh, uh, Coach Belichick said, there's no one I respect more in football than Nick Saban. This is from Adam Schefter. This came in a, a minute ago. Stat of the day. Under Nick Saban, Alabama has more players drafted in the first round than it had losses. Well, I'm going to repeat that one more time. Alabama had more players drafted under Nick Saban in the first round then it had losses. 44 players drafted in the first round by Alabama under Nick Saban. 29 losses. That is mind-boggling. It's kind of like those stats you see Lamar Jackson, like where he has more touchdowns and incompletions. That is unbelievable. That, I mean, that is, wow. He really is to go. Deion Sanders has commented on Nick Saban. Uh, I believe it looks like this is from Twitter. I've got this right here. This just came in uh, about an hour ago. Uh, Coach Prime, wow, college football just lost the GOAT to retirement. Wow. I knew it would happen one day soon, but not this soon. The game has changed so much that it chased the GOAT away. College football, let's hold up our mirrors and say honestly what you see. Hashtag Coach Prime at Colorado Buffaloes football. So it looks like Coach Prime is, is kind of making a statement with the, the hiring of Nick Saban. And by the way, um, Coach Prime is is very tight with Nick. I know they had like kind of a little bit of mini back and forth, but now you see them on these uh, Aflac commercials, which is fun. And they've done a different media appearances, so that's that's really cool from, from Prime to Nick. Uh, Barry Grant Jr., the comments. He says, rumor says that Carroll fought hard to keep his job. He was pushed out simple ageism. You could make a case that that very well might have factored. That, again, that, that's why Barry, and that's why audience, I don't get the why Dan Quinn is the front runner. He's just a younger Pete Carroll. That's not a shot at Dan. That's actually a compliment because Pete's one of the greatest coaches ever. But uh, but if, if, if that is true, that Pete fought hard to keep his job, that makes all the sense in the world given this press conference because he seemed, I mean, he was very emotional talking about his family. Not that he wouldn't be emotional if he was you know ready to retire, but it was, it was weird. Like I saw that. I'm like, I don't think he wanted to leave. I don't know. Odd move by the Seattle Seahawks. I don't think this will... I don't think this is going to be the greatest thing for him. Let's put it that way. But uh, shout out to Pete Carroll. By the way, fun fact, and I'll move to Mike Brabel. First NFL game I ever watched start to finish was 20, well, it was the 2014 season. It was early 2015. And it was that NFC championship game between the Packers and the Seahawks. Remember the Packers had a, it was, I think it was a 19 to seven lead, two minutes and change to go. And Seattle pulled off this crazy comeback. They got an onside kick and ended up winning the game in overtime. That's the first football game I ever watched start to finish. And it's a wonder I didn't become a Seahawks fan by watching that. I've always admired the Seahawks. I've always admired Pete. That's why I was the Russell Wilson fan and defender for the longest time until there's it really nothing to defend uh, as we sit here today in 2024. But uh, always respected how they ran things in Seattle and can't say I get this one. I can't say I get this one. I can't say I get this one in Tennessee either because Mike Vrabel yesterday was fired by the Tennessee Titans. And um, Amy Adams shrunk, uh, essentially put out a statement saying that we want to move in a different direction. We wish Coach Rabel the very best. So there had been, again, we, we talked about rumblings. This, the Pete Carroll thing came out of nowhere. 
But the Jim Harbaugh NFL stuff, we'll see. There have at least been conversations about Nick Saban potentially retiring from college football. The same could be said about Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. So Mike Vrabel took over the Tennessee Titans in 2018. Never at any point, and I'll defend any coach who has success, any level of success who can say this, never had elite quarterback play from start to finish. Marcus Mariota... Ryan Tannehill, you had some other backups. I think, I think Blaine Gabbert might have had one year in Tennessee. You had guys like Malik Willis, Will Levis. Never had elite quarterback play in Tennessee. Tannehill was the best guy he got, and Tannehill's kind of like a middle-of-the-pack, like a very good game manager type of quarterback. It all ran through Derrick Henry offensively, and Mike Vrabel coached Tennessee to some pretty good defenses. Uh, one of the most impressed, impressive coaching jobs I've seen in, in recent years is when Derrick Henry got hurt midseason, missed the entirety of the rest of the regular season, and Tennessee got the one seed over Kansas City, over Cincinnati, who was coming up, over all these – Buffalo. No, no, Tennessee got the one seed now. Cincinnati knocked them out because Cincinnati had the way better quarterback. But you know, people talking about, oh, Vrabel losing record the last two years. I think that was his fault. No, seriously, look, look at that Tennessee roster. And we're talking today while Derrick Henry is still an official member of the Titans. Derrick Henry there, DeAndre Hopkins, we'll see what his future in Tennessee is. Jeffrey Simmons, who's the great interior defensive lineman. That's it. Tannehill is now an average quarterback as he's gotten up there in age and injuries have caught up to him. Defensively, again, name one. I'm not even going to say star. Big time impact player for the Tennessee Titans defensively or offensively. Outside of D-Hop and Derrick Henry and Jeffrey Simmons. Those three, put them aside. Pretty bare cupboard. I mean, if you look at the Tennessee Titans, they were a... Better run version, a better coach version of what the Patriots were. Which is exactly why I don't think Vrabel's going to New England. I don't think he's going to New England. I think it's a bad fit. I don't know why Vrabel would do it. First of all, you want to be the guy that replaces uh, Bill Belichick. I mean, do you? And now I get Mike Vrabel played under Bill Belichick at the early state in the early stages of the Patriots dynasty, won three rings. They caught a touchdown in one of their playoff runs. Might have been against the Eagles in the Super Bowl in Jacksonville. But it doesn't really seem like from a fit standpoint, it makes all that much sense. I'll tell you who makes all the sense in the world for Mike Vrabel. I think the Chargers is the perfect destination. Now, the Chargers is one of the better jobs out there because simply put, when you have a top 10 quarterback and you're looking for a head coach, it's an attractive job. You can fill in the other holes however you need to fill them. Finding a quarterback is the hardest thing to do, maybe in sports from a front office perspective. It is, there's no science to it. You can draft. You know, you could draft Joe Burrow number one or Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. Kurt Warner undrafted, Brady sixth round. Patrick Mahomes was the, was the second or third quarterback taken in his own draft. Josh Allen was the first quarterback taken and not even the second quarterback taken in his draft. Matter of fact, I'm not certain Josh Rosen may have went before Josh Allen. There's no exact science on how to get a franchise guy. So when you got him, you better keep him. Chargers obviously have that in Justin Herbert. So you got your franchise quarterback taken care of. What is Mike Vrabel? What does he specialize in? He's a defensive guy. Well, could the Chargers not use that right now? Because Brandon Staley, who was allegedly <laughs> allegedly a defensive guy, uh, had in his three or really two and a half years as the Chargers head coach, one of the worst defenses of football in terms of points per game allowed. I mean, they were bottom 10 in virtually every defensive category. Uh, points allowed, rush yards per game allowed, pass yards per game. They were awful. Bad situationally, 
just weren't good. And too much talent to be as bad as they were. Nick Bosa, I'm sorry, um, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack and some of the Derwin James, the players they had on that side of the football. Mike Vrabel's the type of dude to come in and change it, change everything. They can work in the draft. And offensively, it isn't like it's a bear cupboard there the way it is in Tennessee. Justin Herbert's there. Got Austin Eckler. We'll see what his future there is in Los Angeles if he stays, if he leaves. You got Keenan Allen getting up there in age, but he's had one of the better years of his career before he went down. Mike Williams is a bit of an injury concern, so we'll put him to the side. The weapons are there. Josh Palmer's an effective player. They're, they're fine in that regard. We'll see what they do at general manager. One of the reasons that, that Mike Vrabel reportedly moved on, you know, in some respects, this was Mike Vrabel wanting to leave the Tennessee Titans is because of his relationship with the new general manager who didn't hire Mike Vrabel. Vrabel and the new GM didn't have the greatest relationship. It kind of fizzled out from there. We'll see who they hire as the GM of the Los Angeles Chargers and whether or not they'll do it before they bring in Vrabel. If they were to bring in Vrabel, we'll see. I think that's the best fit. Washington, again, I think is a more attractive fit than we realize because historically uh, relevant and successful franchise. New ownership, Dan Snyder, ghost of Dan Snyder. That's out of there. Josh Harris, Magic Johnson, this new group's in, doing a pretty good job so far from what I can see. You got the second pick in the draft. You could take a quarterback, but as good as, as, as much as we like the quarterbacks, because Caleb's going to be gone number one. We like Drake May and Michael Penix Jr. and Bo, Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels. They're not sure things. We don't know if they're going to be good, but we do know Justin Herbert's good. So Mike Vrabel, who's had defense, who's had offensive coordinators go on to be head coaches, Matt LaFleur, Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith wasn't terribly successful, but he's had offensive coordinators get head coaching jobs. So we know Coach Vrabel could pick a good OC. Kellen Moore's not coming back. There's no way. Uh, he, we know he could pick a good OC, and we know he can fix the defense. I get the division's brutal. It's Kansas City. But what are the Raiders going to do? Like the roster, but it's a long ways off from the Chiefs. Broncos are... Well, coach for Sean Payton, but kind of a mess right now from a salary cap perspective. I think the Chargers, Mike Vrabel, makes all the sense in the world. Now, whether or not the ownership group, the Spanos family, will be kind of cheap with it remains to be seen. But I don't know. That, 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 one, that one makes a lot of sense. I think it makes more sense than the New England thing. I know that's been something that folks have discussed for a long time, that, hey, if Belichick were to move on from New England and Vrabel came in, like would that, would that kind of make sense? It's kind of it kind of goes back to the, the the thing I was saying with Seattle, and if they were to bring Dan Quinn in, they're just getting a younger, more innovative version of Bill. I mean, say what you want about Belichick, I've said plenty. Defense for the Patriots was really good this year, despite losing Matthew Judon and Christian Gonzalez. Defense for the Patriots was good. You know, I've always said like, if you're a head coach, the best case. For me not to fire you is that if you get your side of the ball right. Like Robert Sala, they hadn't been great. Defense of the Jets has been pretty good. Sala's defensive guy, defense of the Jets has been good. So he at least has that case working uh, in his favor. Belichick does as well. Vrabel could. Who's he got on offense? <laughs> They'll move on from Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi and draft a guy. But again, unknown. Justin Herbert's not an unknown. Bringing a smart OC. Vrabel's done it before. I think it makes all the sense in the world. I do. The variable LA thing, don't be shocked if it happens because I think it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, <laughs> by the way, this just came in. Uh, Shador Sanders, quarterback of Colorado, Deion Sanders' son. Uh, he tweeted, Alabama players tap in. Because obviously there's going to be a ton of Bama players transferring now that Saban has retired. So, listen, you go for it. You got to go for it. But there you go. I don't know. The, Vra the Vrabel New England thing just doesn't... Eh. 
I, I don't think it makes all that much sense. I mean, the, the more I think about it, first of all, do you want to be the guy who replaces Belichick? Um, the defense is already good. Sure, yeah, listen, you can bring in a smart OC, but you got nothing to work with. You can draft as much as you want and not say they wouldn't draft well. Um, I don't know. I don't love it. I really don't. Chargers, though. That'd be good. How many games would the Chargers this year have? Would, how many games would the Chargers have won this year? Mike Vrabel's their coach. Just saying. Give them that talent, that quarterback. Just saying. Tennessee, I don't know what they're going to do. I think the Titans are actually one of the least attractive jobs along with Carolina. I mean, what do Derrick Henry's leaving? Like, what are you? What are you going to do? Will Levis hasn't showed that much promise. I don't know. Okay, this is a segment I was going to do again. The whole show, everything got pushed back with the Nick Saban thing. And a segment I was going to do today, maybe you're seeing the description on YouTube right now, that I was going to do my playoff weaknesses. Like the weaknesses of all the 14 playoff teams. We're instead going to do that on Friday because there's too much to talk about today. Stuff I want to really hone in on, focus on, not rush through. So the, the, the playoff weaknesses thing, we'll do that on Friday's show. And we'll do Bryce's best 10 in about 10 to 15 minutes. What I did want to focus on is this. So we do a segment every week. It's one of my favorites. We introduced it during the football season, before the football season, rather. It's called Carving Up the Context. And on Carving Up the Context, essentially what we do is look at a story, look at something that's going on, whatever the case may be, something that has brought a level of interest into what it is. And the fact of the matter is that the ratings for the NFL regular season have come in. Now, we've still have the playoffs. We still have a multitude of games to still look over and look forward to in that regard. But the regular season ratings come in, uh, just recently came in, and I got a lot to say about it. A lot of context to bring. So, I mentioned it a couple times on the show. As primetime Deion Sanders says, Give me my theme music. On this week's edition of Carving Up the Context, we're going to be talking NFL ratings. Now, this has been a subject that I've discussed at length for years now on Carving It Up. Going back really to 2020 before we were even a video show, before we were even a YouTube show. It was just audio. It was on all podcasting platforms you could listen to. And the whole narrative, especially around the dreaded, the dreaded election season, regarding... The NFL's falling ratings, not quite as impressive as years past. You know, kind of down from the year before. And the Super Bowl ratings in some ways reflected that. People weren't as tuned into the NFL. And it had everything to do, according to some out there, to a boycott. Oh, the 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 the, the NFL focusing on social issues. We're here to keep politics out of sports. We are here to watch the NFL. Nobody said you weren't here to watch the NFL. Neither did the NFL itself. Um, and folks out there said, we're going to boycott the league. And I'm, just, I'm not necessarily just talking about one side. The other side, in some respects, kind of said the same in a different respect. That's why they did so is a different conversation for a whole different podcast, much less segment. But the fact of the matter is that narrative was completely false, untrue, and not based in fact. Because the NFL ratings came back up in 2021, kind of leveled in 2022. And <laughs> according to the Wall Street Journal, very reputable source, 
the NFL had an average of 19, sorry, 17.9 million people, television and digitally, watching games. 190 million people watched NFL games during the 2023 season. This has been the highest regular season average, just according to Fortune. The highest regular season average in terms of ratings, people per game, people watching the games. Highest average since 2015. And second, since they've tracked this back to 1995. In other words, the NFL has never been more popular. And in some respects, I would argue at least, the NFL's never been more socially and politically active and aware. You can't go to a football stadium, the last four seasons at least, without seeing end racism in the back of the end zones. Socially aware, socially active. A couple of years ago, when now former retired uh, for, former uh, NFL defensive lineman Carl Nassib uh, came out as gay, they endorsed the Trevor Project, which is a suicide prevention program for LGBTQ plus kids out there. Socially active, socially aware, endorsing certain causes. And funny, it didn't affect people watching the games. At least that's what the ratings say. Monday Night Football, fun fact, saw an average of 19.4 million people watching their games on average. That's a 30, in television, this is huge, a 30% increase. The NFL season in totality, for those wondering, saw, if you include Fox, CBS, NBC, ESPN, ABC, Amazon Prime, Peacock, all the different streaming services and channels that, that, that showed NFL games, they saw a 7% increase collectively in the ratings. 93 of the top 100 television live broadcasts were NFL game, including all of the top 20. The league has never been more popular. And in some respects, a lot of the credit can be attributed to an individual who some cannot stand and say they, they, they've seen enough of. Again, ratings reflect otherwise. An individual by the name of Taylor Swift, who, of course, has had this very high-profile relationship and romance with Chiefs tight end and future first ballot Hall of Famer Travis Kelsey. It has been a story, forget the NFL, uh, in pop culture, worldwide it seems. Taylor Swift has done something too. Because what Taylor Swift does, because of the power that she generates, and very few human beings on the planet can say this, they move the needle. I think Beyonce's in this category. Michael Jackson in his prime was in this category. Not many folks can say this. They move the needle. They literally change how you, Tiger Woods did this in golf. You changed your schedule based on where they were, when they were performing or playing, or whatever the case may be, acting in, singing in. You had to see them. They moved the needle, massive fan bases, which Taylor obviously had, the Swifties. What Taylor Swift did was bring in a new audience. You know, maybe young girls who maybe didn't have that much interest in the NFL, but they love Taylor Swift, and Taylor's dating this football player who plays for the Chiefs. Check this out. Maybe... See what, see what this NFL thing's about. NFL's beyond thrilled about that, of course. And you can argue, maybe I'm reaching here, but I don't think I am, that because of Taylor Swift and the interest that she has brought and the way that she has moved the needle to a certain respect in the NFL, argument can be made that maybe you got young girls, heck, young guys. I mean, there, there are guys out there that are Taylor Swift fans. Are you kidding me? You've seen the concerts? 
hanging out with moms, dads, parents, watching the games that without Taylor, maybe they wouldn't have watched beforehand. In many ways, what Taylor has done for the NFL is a perfect representation of what the NFL and what sports are supposed to be, and that's the great unifiers. I've often said on Carving It Up and otherwise that the two great unifiers out there are sports and music. You go to a live concert. I went to a Luke Bryan concert uh, this past summer. Had a freaking blast. Luke Bryan was awesome, as he often is. and oh, Sorry, always is because he's Luke Bryan. And I would bet every dollar I've got that one way or the other, I was in an arena, Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee, that was with people. I was with people who I probably vehemently disagree with uh, politically one way or the other. I'm a political independent for those of you who don't know. Didn't care. We were there to sing to Luke Bryan songs. We were there to have a good time. That's what sports is. That's what makes sports great. That's what makes the NFL great. And in some ways kind of almost gives it an advantage, at least from the guys in the locker room, because there's 53 players on an NFL roster, more than baseball, way more than basketball. Different cultures, different ethnicities, different races, religions, political affiliations, and worldviews. Coming together for a common goal and a common cause. And what has really bothered me about this whole boycotting the NFL thing. Not just that it's not true, and I love, this is why I created this segment, Dispelling False Narratives. It's the fact that it goes against everything that the NFL and sports are supposed to be. Unifying. Bringing people of different backgrounds together. Argument can be made that if many in Washington followed the model of sports, of the National Football League, we'd look very different because we have a lot more in common than we don't. So what the NFL ratings reflect, maybe we're not quite as divided as folks out there in power, different pundits out there are telling us. Most watched season in a decade, and the second most watched season since they've tracked it according to four, I'm sorry, not Forbes, according to Fortune since 1995. Monday Night Football ratings through the freaking roof. The same could be said about the NFL ratings in general. Again, I repeat, 93 of the top 100 broadcasts Live television broadcast in the year of our Lord, 2023, were NFL games. The league's never been more popular, while simultaneously never being more socially outspoken and aware. It didn't impact the ratings. Kaepernick did not impact the ratings. The whole social justice movement of 2020 after George Floyd, it didn't impact the ratings. The election impacted the ratings. I can show you right here the Super Bowl ratings since 2000. Put remove this real quick since 2012. Look at every year since uh, every election year. It kind of impacted the ratings. 2013 was following an election. Ravens, uh, Ravens and 49ers, 109 million came back up to 113 in 2014. In 2017, that was following the 2016 season and a highly controversial election between Trump and Hillary Clinton. 114 mil stayed the same at. As 2016, 114 mil, but then came back up to 118 in 2018. 2021 was following the Trump-Biden election. Looks like that's going to be Trump-Biden part one. Uh, 100 million people watched the Buccaneers play the Kansas City Chiefs. That was down from 113 the year prior. Went back up to 112 in 2022. It has always been the election. You know, there's an old saying, it's the economy, stupid. It's the election, stupid. And I would argue that in the next eight months, they're probably going to come back down because you're going to have pundits actively trying to divide us in a certain respect. 
You're going to have a highly polarizing and highly controversial election, likely between two individuals who could not be more different. Attention will be turned towards CNN, Fox News, CBS, MSNBC, News Nation, the whole bit. And once the election cycle passes, we'll go right back to watching our football. The NFL's never been more popular, and it'll only continue to grow. Don't let folks out there with their own agendas tell you otherwise. That is this week's edition of Carving Up the Context. I'm telling you, it, it's just, it, it really bothers me. False narratives is one of my least favorite things. Snakes. I hate snakes. False narratives. Um, people putting stuff out there that doesn't need to be put out there. Like, LeBron's not clutch. You know, I, I saw this stat for LeBron today, by the way. Okay. <laughs> LeBron's not clutch. Okay. I literally just saw this uh, today on my social media feed. LeBron has hit 1,010 clutch field goals in the regular season of the playoffs. That is the most in NBA history. So LeBron has hit a couple of clutch shots or two. Or 1,010. There you go. So I created this segment. Rain's going to come down in 2024, folks. You can guarantee it. I could have called this back in 2020, which I did. And then it'll go right back. And then 2028, and the cycle will just continue to repeat itself. Okay. Real quick, let me go ahead and get these Bryson's Best 10 graphics. Because this is really our last Bryson's Best 10 until the end of the regular season. I'm sorry, not the end of the regular, regular season's over. Uh, this is our last Bryce's Best 10, essentially, uh, of the entire NFL season, because next week we'll have eight teams left. I'll just do Bryce's Best 8, I guess. It's, it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. But, um, yeah, there you go. So we're going to have that segment next week. I guess I'll do Bryce's Best 4 at that point, although maybe I won't because that will kind of tip my head, hand on who I'm predicting. I might do, like, Bryce's Best 10 players in the conference championship games, like the final four teams, and just, like, top 10 players. Uh, at that point, by the way, this just came in, and then we'll get to Bryce's best in. Uh, this just came in from Hawes. I hope I'm saying Hawes Fawcett. Um, according to uh, a recruiting expert, five star wide receiver Ryan Williams has decommitted from Alabama. So, this is just going to continue over the next uh, few days and few weeks. That uh, a lot of guys, a lot of kids, going to be decommitting from Alabama, transferring from Alabama, and uh, they will be. They'll, they'll, they'll be in, I don't want to say a rough spot because I, th- I think they'll, they'll, they'll end up getting a pretty darn good coach, but only time will tell. Okay. It's my favorite segment I do every week. I'm sorry. My favorite segment I do is, is if I were Batman. One of my favorite segments that I added along with carving up the context this year. It's like a, it's, it's like a, a package deal. It's called carving up the context. It's not called carving up the context. Gosh darn it, Bryson. It's called Bryson's Best 10. And this is our official last Bryson's Best 10 because we'll be down to eight teams and there won't be 10 teams to rank going into the divisional round next week. So let's get our background music going right now and talk about uh, the top 10 teams, my top 10 teams in the National Football League. We will start. Oh, this hurts. At number 10, it's the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are the 10th best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So, not many teams have played better than Green Bay over the last couple of months. So, Green Bay was 3-6, and six, looked dead in the water, looked like they were in a position where they could forget, miss the playoffs, might be in the business of going in and replacing Jordan Love. Since then, they won five, I'm sorry, six of their last seven games, were able to get into the playoffs as the seventh seed. They'll have a tough task ahead against the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas, where Dallas hasn't lost since 2022. But Jordan Love's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league this season, second 
in touchdown passes to Dak Prescott, beat Brock Purdy in that regard with Purdy sitting out in Week 18. Listen, I had questions about this kid coming in, I, especially a few games in the year. I didn't like his pocket awareness. Decision-making wasn't good. Just didn't seem all that comfortable. As time got, time went on, he looked about as comfortable as a quarterback can look. Pocket was good. Green Bay's got a good O-line. Really good young receivers. The big issue with this team, though, is defensively. They are awful on the defensive side of the football, and I don't trust Matt LaFleur much uh, situationally down the stretch of close games. But props to the Packers. Win, lose, or draw. Well, there is no draw in the playoffs. Win or lose, regardless of how far they go, if they get eliminated this weekend, whatever the case may be, they can ha- uh, hold their heads high going into 2024. This was a very successful season, given the expectations and the hopes and dreams for Jordan Love for the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are the 10th best team in the National Football League going into the postseason. At number nine, up a spot from last week, it is the Houston Texans. The Texans are the ninth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So Houston, I had them at the number 10 last week. They were in a position where they could miss the playoffs had they lost to the Indianapolis Colts. They got out of their division rivals, skin of their teeth. C.J. Stroud was nothing short of phenomenal. Multiple touchdown passes, pass rating over 120 in that game against the, against the Colts. C.J. has been probably the greatest rookie quarterback we've ever seen in our lifetimes. Over Dak, over Big Ben, had a great rookie season. Andrew Luck, doesn't matter. This is one of the best rookie quarterback seasons, the best rookie quarterback season, rather, we've ever seen. You have a head coach in D'Amico Ryan, who has changed his culture, has changed his defense. They've done a great job, especially against the pass this season, and, and as well as against the run. Good young defensive players. Will Anderson going to be in the mix for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Nico Collins, good wide receiving threat. It's a scary team for Cleveland to be facing in round one in Houston. I know the Browns are a better roster and are the favorites in Houston, Texas. But still, listen, often these games, these playoff games, come down to quarterbacks and coaches. Well, coach, you can may say it's even. I'd probably give the advantage to Stefanski, a slight advantage to Stefanski for Cleveland. I'll say this, though. Stroud versus Flacco, it ain't close, so we'll see what happens on Saturday. Uh, it'll be a fun matchup nonetheless to start the playoffs. The Texans are the ninth best team in the National Football League. The team they will be playing is at number eight. It is the Cleveland Browns. The Browns are the eighth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. So Cleveland has been one of the surprises of 2023 for the simple fact that they dealt with a multitude of injuries and bad play, let's be honest, the quarterback position. Deshaun Watson was already playing poorly before he went down for the season following the Browns' win at Baltimore, which happened to be the Ravens' most recent loss this season. They tried P.J. Walker. That doesn't work. They tried Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Doesn't work either. And they bring this dude, this former Super Bowl MVP with 10 playoff wins in his career off the couch, Joe Flacco, is leading the league in, in, in touchdown passes since he was inserting in the, in the starting lineup for Cleveland. This is a good wide receiving core with Amari Cooper. They've got, obviously, David Njoku as well. Good running game with Ford. Still a good offensive line despite injuries. And defensively, they are arguably the best in the NFL aside from Baltimore in that regard. Miles Garrett is a game changer on the defensive side of the ball. Great linebacking core. Really good secondary. Well coached under Jim Swartz. And Kevin Stefanski has about as good of a case as anybody that he should be coach of the year. Using four quarterbacks and you not only get to the playoffs, how about this, folks? Second best record of the conference. Second best record in the conference. Tied for at least second best record of the conference with the Chiefs and the Bills. Who would have thought the Browns would be in this position? I certainly didn't as a lifelong Cleveland admitted hater and a Steelers fan. But props where it's due. The Browns are the eighth best team in the National Football League. At number seven, the highest they have been on this list in months. It is the Buffalo Bills. The Bills are the seventh best team in the National Football League, and here is why. By the way, Buffalo moved up a couple spots uh, from the last few weeks. So, I have had doubts about the Bills all season long. I said before the year, I didn't believe they'd make the playoffs. Didn't see it coming. 
Uh, Josh Allen has been, well, every bit of what you believe, you'd think Josh Allen would be. As I said on on um, on the show on Monday, Josh Allen is the what the heck are you doing quarterback, or this guy's insane, where it's this guy's insane, what a throw, or what a run, and this guy's insane, what the heck is he doing? What kind of decision make you, what are you doing, Josh? You never know what you're going to get from Josh Allen. If it's good, it's amazing. If it's bad, it's terrible. When it rains, it pours, so to speak. But listen, this is the Buffalo Bills team that has won five straight games and has established an excellent running the running game. They've run for over 100 yards in each of their last five football games. Defensively, they played well. Rasul Douglas was a great get from the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay can really use him right now, given how bad their defense has been. Sean McDermott was in the hot seat, not saying he isn't. Still on at least the somewhat warm, the lukewarm seat, but it ain't near as high as it was about a month ago. Josh Allen has played pretty darn well over the last month. I still have questions about this team in regards to whether or not they can take care of the ball offensively and against the elite quarterbacks. Can they perform? We've seen them do it against Mahomes and Dak in the last month. Uh, they're not facing an elite quarterback this weekend, and my guy Mason Rudolph, I hate to say it, Mason, but it's not going to work. But Let's see if Buffalo does. I'm still not really sold on them as a Super Bowl contender because I have no clue what team I'm getting on a week-to-week basis. But I gotta give love where it's due. They've been arguably the best team in football over the last month. The Bills are the seventh best team in the National Football League. At number six, staying right where they were at from a week ago, it is the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are the sixth best team in the National Football League. And here is why. So simply put, Talk about the Bills being the best team of the last month. Well, the Rams have been the best team of the last two months, and it's not particularly close. If you look at Los Angeles uh, in, in, in the last eight games, they're 7-1, and one, which is the best record in the sport. Points per game differential is sixth. Points per game in general is fourth. Total yards per game, second. Over almost 400 yards a game, 385 per game, second in the NFL. And sixth, Matthew Stafford is sixth in the NFL in passer rating. And by the way, shockingly, I couldn't believe this when I saw this today, made his second Pro Bowl. I was shocked to see this. Matthew Stafford's only made two Pro Bowls, but nonetheless, he's been on a heater as of late. Puka Nakua is the best rookie wide receiver we've ever seen, kind of like the best rookie quarterback we've seen is C.J. Stroud. Cooper Cup is still an effective player. So is Kyron Williams. It's still a solid Rams offensive line. They did a good job of rebuilding it over the offseason. Aaron Donald is still on the defensive side of the ball and still getting triple teams, so you got to respect him. They have a really good young linebacker over there, and we know Sean McVay is one of the most brilliant coaches in the NFL, top five as far as I'm concerned. As far as, De- I'll tell you, Detroit about to get into, this is the absolute last team. Forget the Stafford coming back to Detroit thing. The Lions have worked so hard this season, and they get the Rams in round one. By the way, props to the Rams with Carson Wentz winning in round, uh, or sorry, winning last week against the 49ers with Carson Wentz. Playing pretty darn well, I might add, as a Wentz skeptic at starting quarterback. The Rams are the sixth best team in the National Football League. At number five is the team that they're going to be playing on Sunday night. It is the Detroit Lions. The Lions are the fifth best team in the National Football League, and here is why. When I was putting together this list coming into tonight's show, this was the biggest debate I had. Is it Rams? Is it Lions? Is it Rams? Is it Lions? I decided to go with Detroit with a slight edge for the simple fact that even without Sam Laporta, who's unfortunately out, got hurt against Minnesota, which sucks for the Lions, I still like the way that they're coached offensively. Ben Johnson, I think, can go toe-to-toe with Sean McVay in terms of play calling. Jared Goff's having arguably the best season of his career. They still have Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery. Amon Ross St. Brown is the most underrated receiver in the sport. I don't know why this guy isn't getting the love that he deserves. I think he had about 1,400 receiving yards this year. He's been a, he's been unbelievable. Jamison Williams coming back from the suspension and a down rookie season has been nothing short of spectacular this year for the Detroit Lions. I have concerns about this defense, but for what it's worth, Dallas is as dominant as a team there is at home. The most dominant team at home this season, especially offensively. 
Detroit held them to 20 points in Dallas. So this is a Detroit team that can get to the quarterback, Aiden Hutchinson. I have concerns about the secondary. I have concerns about the fact that they sometimes you know, seem to feast on bad quarterback play. They won't be getting that on Sunday against Matthew Stafford, that's for sure. I picked this Lions team to make the NFC title game before the season. Don't feel as confident about that now, but today, they are the fifth best team in the National Football League. At number four, it is the champs. It is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are the fourth best team in the National Football League, and here's why. So, my thing with Kansas City is this, and I said this all the way back in Week 15. When they beat the New England Patriots, I said this is very ironic, especially with them beating New England, given the dynasty that they had uh, 20 years uh, for 20 years with Brady and Belichick. This, to me, is the classic Patriots team of twenty uh, that 20-year that run. Awesome quarterback, Brady. Coach who specialized on a certain side of the ball. Belichick defense, read offense. Uh, all-time great tight end, but kind of aging. And an excellent defense with the Chiefs undeniably have. Chris Jones is having, uh, listen, not a great statistical output this year. But in general, if you look at the film, Chris Jones has played well. The secondary, the young secondary Kansas City has been very good. Legereus Sneed is probably, probably should have been a pro bowler. One of the better corners in the NFL this season. Linebacking core is good. Nick Bolton coming back. Uh, this Chiefs team is a team that can that can hold you to under 20 points. And the fact of the matter is for Kansas City, if they can stop turning the football over, they're, they're being in good shape. So Mahomes has struggled with the turnovers this year. The Chiefs defense doesn't really take the ball away a lot. Uh, I think they're bottom five in the NFL in terms of turnover differential. So the fact of the matter is the Chiefs have to fix that. But listen, this is the last team we talked about with Detroit drawing drawing the Los Angeles Rams. If you're a Miami, you could not have gotten a worse draw. Forget the weather that's going to be, it's going to feel like minus 15 in Kansas City on Saturday night. But you draw the defending champs. You draw the best quarterback on earth, the best court, uh, coach on earth, one of the greatest playoff performers ever in Travis Kelsey and the best defense the Chiefs have had in the Mahomes era. I still believe this team could get to the Super Bowl. They were my preseason pick to win it all. Still feel good about that, and I do still believe in the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are the fourth-best team in the National Football League. At number three is the team that I had them beating in the Super Bowl before the season. It is the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are the third-best team in the NFL, and here is why. Well, simply put, they had this guy at quarterback. You might have heard of him by the name of Rain Dakota Prescott, who led the NFL in touchdown passes this season and completion percentage, mind you. And Dak, in general... Had a remarkable year uh, in the sense that he was also second in the NFL in passer rating, third in pass yards, fourth in interception percentage in a good way, only 1.5 uh, interception percentage per pass. And in terms of yards per pass, yards per attempt, he was top five at number five in the National Football League. He is far and away the best quarterback in the NFC East. and uh, Sorry, NFC East, NFC in general, uh, and is a top five quarterback. And CeeDee Lamb. <sighs> Argument can be made. He's in the discussion with Tyree Kills, the best receiver in football. Put their numbers side by side. Not that much of a gap. CD is having the best season of his career to this point. I don't love Dallas offensively beyond that. I have questions about Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup, Jalen Tolbert, and Jake Ferguson, and Tony Pollard for that matter. But I still like the Cowboys offensive line. They should be getting Tyler Smith and Zach Martin, who's really the anchor of that offensive line, back from injury. Defensively, listen, they were top 10 in just about every defensive statistical category outside of stopping the run. They're kind of a bend but don't break defense that's capable of taking the ball away, of taking the ball away when you're uh, most vulnerable. Micah Parsons led the NFL in pressures this season, so the Cowboys should be good, in good shape defensively. Mike McCarthy's done a much better job than people have given him credit for. Three straight years of winning 12 or more games. The Cowboys, I still think they're going to win the NFC, are the third best team in the National Football League. The team that I think they will beat in the NFC Championship game two and a half weeks from now is my number two team. It is the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are the second best team in the NFL, 
and here's why. I'll say today what I said all the way back when I debuted this segment way back in week one. This is the best roster, even including Baltimore. It's the best roster in the NFL top to bottom. I keep saying, if Brock Purdy is the weak link of your team, a point that I don't totally disagree with, I'll detail that more on Friday. If he's the weak link, you're in good shape because Brock Purdy, all he did was lead the NFL in password. And Kyle Shanahan, one of the smartest coaches in the NFL, they did lose my man Talanoa Hufunga, one of my favorite players in the NFL to watch defensively for the season earlier this year. But Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw, best linebacking core we've seen in years uh, on that defense. Great pass rush, Nick Bosa. Uh, you still have Armstead. Uh, you still have uh, plenty of guys uh, out there on that team for the San Francisco 49ers uh, as well. Chase Young. Offensively, it's it's it's... It's the opposite of the Patriots. Patriots have an empty cupboard. Niners have an overflowing cupboard. cupboard. Chris McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Juwan Jennings. Yes, I'm including Juwan Jennings, Tennessee guy. And by the way, the best left tackle maybe ever in Trent Williams. I don't trust them playing from behind, but this is the best team roster-wise in the NFL top to bottom. We know Kyle Shanahan, the brilliant coach that he is. The Niners are the second best team in the National Football League, and that leaves the obvious number one. I'm a Browns. I'm sorry. I'm a Browns fan. Come on, catch me dead in a Browns jersey. Uh, as a Steelers fan, this hurts, but I got to call it like I see it. The Ravens are the best team in the National Football League, and do I really need to tell you why? I don't know. Here's why. Lamar Jackson's going to win league MVP. I believe deservedly so. He had a remarkable season. You have Mark Andrews out for the year, and he's able to make it work. Zay Flowers having a great rookie season. Odell Beckham Jr. kind of having a resurgence in a certain regard this year with the Ravens. This is the best defensive football top. It's not even even a contest. They lead the NFL in takeaways, lead the NFL in scoring defense. Uh, I saw a stat the other day that I'm trying to pull up with the Baltimore Ravens uh, and how dominant that they have been. Uh, I don't seem to. uh, Yeah, they also lead the league in sacks as well. So they get to the quarterback. They take the ball away. And you don't score a lot of points on them as a result in in large part of the two things that I just mentioned. Offensively, they got weapons. They got Zay Flowers. They got Odo Beckham Jr. Isaiah Likely, because of Lamar, has all of a sudden become a household name. And we know John Harbaugh is one of the better coaches in the league as well. The only concern, I maintain this, I don't trust them holding a lead. They're the opposite of the 49ers. Don't trust the Niners when playing from behind. Don't totally trust the ravens when playing from in front you're like are you kidding me they they're the best team in the league since 2020 with lamar with john harbaugh with a lot of these same guys they lead the nfl in blown double digit lead so that concerns me for the baltimore ravens outside of that amazing roster top three quarterback in lamar jackson likely mvp for the second time i really hope the ravens don't win the super bowl uh, that'll be a rough offseason for me as a steelers fan but call like i see it this is the ravens the best team in the National Football League. I didn't have a graphic. Did not have a graphic for the top 10. Oftentimes, I usually show you something where it's, it shows the top 10 teams. I'll just read it off for you. I've got it here on my phone from 1 to 10. I've got the Ravens, 49ers, Cowboys, Chiefs, Rams, Lions, Bills, Browns, Texans, and Packers. Don't expect me to be nice to y'all this long, cheeseheads. Your day's coming. Your day, your day's coming. I like I like your quarterback, and I like your young receivers. But your day's coming. What a show! Nick Saban retires. Like I, I still am, kind of like processing that. I'm like, oh my god! Like didn't see that coming, but we'll see. By the way, I'm gonna need y'all's thoughts and prayers and love right now because I gotta watch my Golden State Warriors play in an hour, and I can't say I'm particularly excited. I, uh, it's 
please make moves. Please, Mike Dunleavy Jr., if you can hear this, if you can see this, please make moves to the deadline. Pascal Siakam, Zach Levine, whatever you got to do, don't get to Jonte Murray. I saw that rumor today. Don't get to Jonte Murray. Zach Levine, Pascal Siakam, maybe both. And we're back in business with the greatest, sixth greatest player ever, Steph Curry. That said, that is all the time here for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button or that one. Well, that's that's just a, a subscribe, you know, it's a graphic. The real one's down there. It helps the channel grow exponentially. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is a month from tomorrow, February the 11th. We're about to get to 700 subscribers. We're inching closer. So if you have not subscribed, it just takes a couple seconds. Big red subscribe button down there. Hit it and become part of the Carving It Up family. If you have subscribed, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate y'all's love and support of the show. Tell everybody you know about it. Tell a friend to tell a friend, family members, friends, dogs, cats, hamster, don't care. Tell everybody about Carving It Up and hit that big red subscribe button. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And of course, just as important, be sure to go subscribe to The Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, The Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your podcast, as well as on YouTube as well as our Grid Network website. Check out my man Patrick Brown, writing some great pieces for the Grid website. As far as our content creators in the audio and video space, check us out on YouTube. In terms of audio, anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us at the Grid Network, where we dare to be different. See y'all on Friday. NFL predictions. NFL playoff weaknesses. We were going to do that today until the Nick Saban news broke. We'll be doing it on Friday. Very excited for that. The, the biggest weakness of the 14 playoff teams. Y'all definitely want to stay tuned for that as well as whatever else happens in the world of sports. Maybe Belichick's gone by then. Who knows? Harbaugh? Only time will tell less than 48 hours from now. See y'all then at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific on Friday. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, 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 I beg of you, contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence here in America. We have got to address this. I will see y'all on Friday. Stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out. You know, on second thought, the Warriors may beat the Pelicans tonight. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.